Today we come to the close of our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of every sermon, there ought to be a response. The listeners ought to have some kind of response to what has just been said. Matthew tells us of the response of the crowd to Jesus' teaching. It's given to us in verses 28 and 29. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. They were astonished. Reason? For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Both the content and manner of Jesus' teaching was amazing when one considers the authority with which he spoke. Jesus did not cite other teachers. Jesus spoke on his own authority. Jesus claimed a unique authority. And Jesus spoke with an unprecedented clarity and knowledge. Not only was Jesus' understanding of Scripture formidable, but even his understanding of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. His knowledge was unsurpassed. If you remember, even as a child, he was found in the temple area asking the priests questions, uh, asking them to teach him their understanding of the word of God. So Jesus, not once, misrepresents the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not once are they able to correct him and say, no, that's not what we really believe. That's not what we really teach. Jesus understood and accurately represented the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, which he so often critiqued in a negative way. And then, of course, he thoroughly and accurately taught the scriptures. Fourteen times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used the formula, I say unto you. And I would quickly like to rehearse these 14 examples with you. So open your Bibles. We're starting at Matthew 5.18. For truly, I say to you, this is the authority with which he is speaking. For I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 20. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps the most startling thing that he said. And then Jesus often contrasted the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees with his teaching. Notice verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to this court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Verse 26. For truly I say to you, 
You shall not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. Matthew 5.27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. Uh, I just read that, I'm sorry. Verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39. But I say to you, Do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor as your enemy. Uh, You shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 6, verse 2, when therefore you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by man. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. Matthew 6.25 For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Verse 29 Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. Jesus spoke with a unique authority. He was not reserved in contrasting the teaching of others with the teaching that he declared. And he was boldly saying, but I say unto you. What is the most striking in this passage is that Jesus spoke with authority concerning who would enter the kingdom of heaven and who would not. He spoke with authority as to who would enter the kingdom of heaven and who would not. The key verse for this entire message, that of the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew 5, verse 20. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus expounds the kind of righteousness that one needs to enter the kingdom of heaven. When he had finished, it says that the crowds were amazed. They were just astonished 
at his teaching. Because he taught them as one having authority. Not like the scribes. The scribes were the religious leaders of the day. But in particular, the scribes were the most noted for their understanding of the scriptures. Oftentimes we hear the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are religious leaders. They are teachers of the word. The scribes are called scribes because they literally copied the word of God. There were no printing presses. All copies of the scripture had to be done by hand. And the Pharisees made some very, very stringent laws as to how the word of God was to be copied so that it would not be corrupted in any way, so there would not be any mistakes. For example, once a copy was completed, the numbers of letters had to be counted to make sure that there were the right numbers of letters. If there, if there weren't the right numbers, the document had to be destroyed. Not only did there have to be the right number of letters, there had to be the right number of, of uh, letters in each line. Not only did there have to be the right number of letters in each line, not only did there have to be a total number of, of uh, right letters, but then uh, Hebrew al- alphabet is Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Wow, Zion, etc., there had to be the right number of olives. There had to be the right number of bass. There had to be the right number of gimbals. There had to be the right number of dollars. If there weren't, it was destroyed. They were meticulous. They were painstakingly accurate. And the scribes spent their day transposing, copying the word of God. Thus, they became incredibly knowledgeable of the scriptures. They knew what the Old Testament said. They spent their day involved in copying the text. But even they could not compare with Jesus' understanding and ability to handle the scriptures. And so they were amazed. I submit to you that that is the response that we are to have to the Sermon on the Mount among others, but we should be astonished at the authority of Jesus. And then one step further, take that authority very seriously. And so as we prepare our hearts for the partaking of communion this morning, I want us to consider three reasons why we should take the authority of Jesus very seriously as we enter into communion. The first reason we should take the authority of Jesus seriously is because Jesus is the judge before whom we will stand on the day of judgment. Jesus is the judge before whom we will stand on the day of judgment. Notice with me Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Now, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, excuse me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. In verse twenty. 
1, it says, On that day, on that day refers to the day of judgment, the day on which it is going to be determined as to whether or not a person is going to be enter, able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? It's easy to get caught up with what they profess, and easy to focus on this casting out of demons, etc., etc. But what I want you to notice this morning is, verse 22, many will say to me in that day, When the day of judgment comes, Jesus says to this crowd, you are going to give an account to me. People are going to be addressing me. And then, notice verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Jesus said, I am going to be the one who makes a declaration as to whether or not you are going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're going to stand before me, and I will declare whether you must depart or not. In the book of John, Jesus makes the fact that he is the judge on the day of judgment emphatically clear. It was our call to worship this morning. John 5, 22 and 23. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who has sent me. Jesus is not just giving his idle opinion when he critiques the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. It would be one thing for you or for me to say that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. But for the one who's going to make the determination... For the one who is going to allow entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Or not allow entrance into the kingdom of heaven. For that one, for the judge to declare that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall know in case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that, you see, is disturbing. That should be frightening. That should be eye-popping. Those scribes and Pharisees' necks should have snapped back for the one before whom they stand has told them ahead of time, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Obviously, they should have wanted to know, well, what do they need to do? Obviously, they should have responded in repentance, but they did not. So we need to take Jesus seriously 
because he is the one before whom we stand. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We live in a day and age in which those words are challenged by many religious leaders that don't believe that Jesus is the only way, that think that perhaps he was too narrow, that he was too closed, that he was too self-absorbed, and on and on and on. And they want to dismiss that claim when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But they are overlooking one very important point. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me is going to be the one who makes the determination of do you get to see the Father or not. He said, I'm the only way. So we ought to take it tremendously seriously because he is the one before whom all mankind will stand. Secondly, we should take the authority of Jesus seriously because giving lip service to Jesus is not enough. Here we find that not everyone who says that Jesus is Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's striking. It's striking, first of all, because they are acknowledging Jesus as being equal with God. Lord, Lord. Uh, Evans here is, is Lord Jehovah. But not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, one must do the will of the Father in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice the end of verse 21. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So obviously, we need to know what is the will of the Father. First, notice what it is not. It does not consist of doing good or even righteous or religious deeds, even in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 22. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not do three things? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not proclaim in your name? There will be many, many preachers who are occupying the pulpits of Christian churches who pray and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's sobering. And those aren't my words. They're the words of Jesus. Next. And in your name cast out demons. And in your name done miracles. It's hot debate in Christendom over religious groups that claim to be able to cast out demons, who claim miraculous dealings, 
Here we find that Jesus says, that's not the determining factor. Not the ability to do miracles. Not the ability to cast out demons. If you remember the sorcerers that stood before Pharaoh, when Moses cast down his rod and became a snake, remember what happened? They turned rods into snakes as well. That's not the determining factor. That's not how to decide. So it isn't even people's conduct, behaviors, or seeming religious power or authority that causes one to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is doing the will of the Father? Answer, it is living righteously. Look at verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Why do they depart? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It isn't that they weren't naming the name of Christ. It isn't that they weren't involved in religious activity. It's the fact that they were practicing lawlessness. They were living unrighteously. They were living unholy lives. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He didn't say, lest you act differently. He said they were doing their alms to be seen of men. He wasn't finding fault with their praying. He was finding fault with the motivation of why they prayed. And what they were doing. So here he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The righteousness that one must have in order to obtain the kingdom of heaven is a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, remembering that they were an elite, they were the people that individuals would aspire to. I don't know exactly what to equate that with in our society because we don't hold leaders to that kind of elevated position. Uh, But think of people that are elevated. You've got to be more righteous than the Pope if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be more righteous than Billy Graham if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be more righteous than John Piper if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Pick out any religious leader that you look up to. And then understand that you have to be more righteous than they if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So how can a person do the will of God? How can a person enter the kingdom of heaven? He said, you must do my Father's will. John 6.40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. We have to have a righteousness that comes through faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not relying on our own personal righteousness and holiness, but a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Remember, they are finding fault with Jesus and his righteousness. They said that he came to abolish the law. He said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so it comes down to a recognition that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. We need the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But, you just can't give lip service to acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There must be truth to that statement. Not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first thing I think we need to do is ask, how does that square with 1 Corinthians 12.3? Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 12.3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. How does the fact that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit square with many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When it says no one can say that Jesus is Lord, it doesn't mean that you can't get those words out of your mouth. Anybody that can speak can say Jesus is Lord. It doesn't take any spiritual acumen doesn't take any empowerment by the Holy Spirit, doesn't take any work other than simply forming the words, Jesus is Lord. You can say that. But Jesus can't be your Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. The transformation of heart and mind that is accompanied with a true acknowledgement of Jesus as my Lord and Savior to recognize his authority and to seek to establish our lives on his word is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what is required for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a knowledge of the gospel. It's not Lip service to the gospel. It's a transformation of heart and mind that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit in which now there is a true recognition of who Jesus really is. He is the Son of God. He is equal with God. He is the judge before whom we stand. He is the very Son of God who was sent into this world. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one to be worshipped and served and obeyed. And the gospel is, I have failed to love him, worship him, and obey him in the past. I need forgiveness because I'm not righteous as he is. And I trust in him as my Lord and Savior for my sins to be forgiven 
Which brings us to the third point. We should take the authority of Jesus seriously by grounding our lives in his word. The wise person establishes his life on Jesus' teachings and stands firm in the storm of life. Notice verse 24. Therefore, therefore, I was tempted to divide these verses up into sections, but it's because of this, therefore, I decided to continue on. You see, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them is wise. It's not enough to be astonished by what Jesus says. The question is, are you going to act upon what Jesus says? Are you going to do what Jesus says? Are you going to implement what Jesus says? Notice verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. It's not a matter of hearing the word. It's not a matter of being familiar with the word. It's not a matter of understanding the word. It's not even a matter of being able to teach the word. The question is, have we acted upon the word? And so there are two examples. One who hears and acts. He's like the man who builds his house on a rock. The wind blows, the storm comes, house stands. Because he's got a firm and good foundation. The one who hears the word but doesn't act upon them is like the one who builds his house upon the sand. Seems like a good idea, seems fine, it's okay. Until the storms of life and adversity and hardship comes and then the wind blows and that house falls. And great is its destruction, is what the word of God says. It doesn't stand. It is a metaphor for the day of judgment. When the winds of judgment blow, when the storms come, those that have built their house upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his righteousness will stand. And those who have built their house, their foundation, their hope, their aspirations on anything other than Jesus Christ, including good works, including nominal Christianity, including other religions, their house is going to fall. Jesus says, the wise man acts on these words. Jesus teaches with amazing authority. And we should take that authority seriously. Because he's the one before whom we're going to stand. We can trust him because the decision is going to be in his hands. And he's told us the way that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We should take his authority seriously because giving lip service is not enough. To be familiar with the gospel is not enough. To have been sitting under the teaching of the word of God for years is not enough. To be growing up in a Christian home is not enough. To say prayers and end them in Jesus' name is not enough. To give regularly is not enough. To be in God's house every Sunday is not enough. It is a recognition that on our own, our righteousness doesn't cut it. It's a recognition that 
We have not loved God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. We have not lived sinless lives. And a desire, by the grace of God, to be transformed in a people that want to love and serve God. And know that the only way for the Spirit of God to transform our lives and bring us into conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ is through the gospel. And so in believing the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ really does become our Lord. Not that we live sinlessly by any means, but now there is a real recognition of a desire to honor and please him and to do what he says. To do what he says. That's the gospel. So as we partake of communion this morning, I simply ask you, where do you stand in recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ? What are you building your house upon? What are your hopes, your aspirations? Why do you expect to enter the kingdom of heaven? Why do you expect that God is going to allow you to do this? Your only expectation can be to fulfill the will of the Father, and this is the will of the Father, that all those who believe in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you truly trusted in Jesus as your Lord, your Savior. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to partake of communion. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may partake. If you don't know, we ask you to remain. Refrain. Not because of any rule that we have, but because of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say to you this morning, that there is no reason why right now you cannot receive Jesus Christ as your Savior if you want to. And I pray that you want to. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give an invitation. It's good for a child. It's good for an adult. It's good for anyone. After hearing the words of Jesus and knowing that you have to be more righteous than any person that you know, including your mom, your dad, anybody, and more righteous than you are, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you say this morning, I want that righteousness. I acknowledge his authority in my life. You can experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us even now as we are ready ourselves to partake of communion. Lead us and direct us. And Lord, I I pray for any single individual that might be here this morning who has never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe gave lip service many, many times knows the gospel, can explain it, sits here. Everybody thinks that they're a Christian, but deep down in their own heart, they know that Jesus is not their Lord. They are not really seeking to honor him. They're not really trying to live for him. That they're going through the motions. Oh Lord, if that's the case of anyone here this morning, may today be that day in which they repent. They acknowledge their sinfulness and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to be their savior. If there is anyone like that here this morning, would you quickly raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I I want to be able to pray with you. I want to acknowledge that. Anyone here, quickly, would you you raise your hand? Keep it up long enough for me to see it and to acknowledge it. Anyone, young or old? 
Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the gospel. And Lord, uh, bless this time as we enter into communion together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, if you'd come forward, please.